Good morning. Good morning. Mike's working okay? You can hear me? Okay, great. Would you please, uh, well, first let me introduce myself. My name is Bryce McMinn. This is my wife, Erin, and our oldest is Noah. Second is Elliot, Caleb, Lillian, and Joshua. We're grateful to be here this morning. We're from Pennsylvania. I'm from, originally from Lancaster County, so this, what we're surrounded by here seems like home to me. We got out of the van and Caleb said, it smells like a farm here. I said, yeah, I said, yeah isn't it great? <laughs> he was born in Pittsburgh, so he wouldn't know any better, but I'm grateful to be here. The farms where I come from in central Pennsylvania are a little smaller than they are here because the Amishmen with their horses and their donkeys uh, uh, and their mules, uh, it doesn't work very well with a huge farm. But we're grateful to be here this morning. I bring you greetings from David and Lydia as well. David really wanted to come down here this morning. Uh, I've really grown uh, to be close with David in my time at seminary. I'm in the same class that he's in. Both of our, for both of us, it's our second year. And David has been an answer to prayer for me in helping a 39-year-old old man learn Greek. <laughs> That's not an easy thing. So he taught people how to fly planes, and I think that was probably easier for him than teaching me Greek. (laughs) But he's done a great job. And I want to congratulate you all on uh, uh, Matthew and Lori Nelson and the girls, soon to be arriving here. My wife and I live right next door to them as well on campus, and we missed them when they left. When they left, it was was a sad thing for us. uh, We were really close with them. And we, so I just think about the ways that you will be blessed here. I'm sure he will also be blessed, not just by having all this open space for his motorcycle, but uh, from the people who are here. Uh, please rise, if you're able, for the reading of our sermon text from John 15, verses 1 through 8. John 15, verses 1 through 8. Reading in Jesus' name. I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Do you have any <clears throat> books at home on your bookshelf that you still haven't read? 
You know what I'm talking about, those books that you should read. You were motivated enough to go out and buy them, but you haven't quite been motivated enough to actually read them. I've got a bunch of them sitting on my bookshelf at home. Most of mine are history books. I've got one on General Patton. I look forward to reading someday. Who knows when? Uh, John Adams. You know the type. So I've had them for at least 10 years, <laughs> both of those, and who knows how many others, and still haven't read them. Well, what if tomorrow you received a letter in the mail from someone who loves you very much? They love you, and they've taken the time to handwrite this letter. I wonder how long it would take you to read that. You probably wouldn't let it sit on your shelf nearly as long as those books have. I know my kids have pen pals back in Pennsylvania, and they know the excitement of receiving a handwritten letter in the mail. You might let those books sit around for years. You may never get to them. But a letter from someone who loves you, you'd probably open it up and start reading it before you even got back into the house from the mailbox. You'd make time to read that. And so, as you're considering this text here, John 15, I wonder what it would be like if you received a letter in the mail from Jesus. What would your reaction be? How long would it take you to tear that envelope open and read that letter? You'd probably stand there at your mailbox with your mouth gaping open and read the entire thing before you even took a step. You would stop everything to read that. And as you're reading... John 15 here, I want to encourage you not to look at this the way I look at the history books that are sitting on my bookshelf at home. This is not a recounting of something that took place, a conversation 2,000 years ago that doesn't have anything to do with you. This isn't a book by General Patton that teaches about how to use a tank properly on the battlefield. This these words in John 15 have been specifically preserved for you by your Lord and your Savior unimaginably over the course of 2,000 years. And he's intended them specifically for you. And that's the way you should be thinking about this as you read John 15 and the rest of Scripture for that matter. I, uh, I wouldn't be here if it weren't specifically intended for you. I'm not, I wouldn't be a very good farmer. I'm not much of a morning person. And I didn't get up at 4 a.m. and drive all the way down here from Minneapolis to stand here and give you a book report. I came here this morning in the name of the Lord of heaven and earth, the king of the universe, to share words with you that he intended specifically for you. These words came directly from his mouth, these words in John 15. And when Jesus originally spoke them, these words, which are for you, he was talking to his disciples. He was in the upper room and at the Last Supper, and the crook, Judas, had just left to go pick up his bribe, his 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. So Jesus was talking only to his faithful disciples here. Judas had left. And if you're a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ, 
these words are specifically for you. If you're not a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ, you should still pay attention because there are things in here for you, too, or about you. Jesus is the vine. He starts out saying, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the vine dresser, takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Jesus is the vine, he's telling you. So he's telling you here about his relationship with the Father and your relationship with Jesus. He uses this familiar analogy. He's talking about a vine. You all know what a vine looks like. You know what fruit looks like when it's, when it's hanging down from a vine. Father's the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine. And you, directly attached to Jesus, are the branches intended to bear fruit. So it's a pretty special thing for you. Because Jesus is saying, I'm the vine and you are directly attached to me. Directly connected to him. So maybe you start to get a little nervous when you get to verse 2 and you see, oh, now he's saying the Father intends to find fruit on these branches. And apparently there are some branches that don't produce fruit and those branches are removed. And then there are others that do produce fruit and those branches are pruned or cleaned so that they will produce even more fruit. So at this point, maybe you start to get a little nervous and wonder, am I one of the fruit-producing branches, or am I one that gets removed? And you know how you can tell? If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you believe in him as your Lord and Savior, and it even matters to you which one, you are, that's a good sign that you are a branch that is pruned. God is the vine dresser. He's pruning. He does that with his word. If it matters to you, which one of the branches that you are, these verses, the point of these verses then in that case are not to make you go through some mental checklist of all the fruit that you're producing for Jesus. That's not the point of this message. Jesus is talking to his disciples here. Judas has left the room, and Jesus is sharing a gospel message with his faithful disciples, you. This is a gospel message for you. This is not a law message. It's not a threat to you. He's looking to comfort you here if you are his disciples. God prunes the branches of the vine with his word. Take comfort, especially here in verse 3. Look at that. I have an elderly sister in Christ. Her name is Eleanor Kennedy. And she'll periodically write a letter to Aaron and me. And when she gets to a part of the letter that she intends for you to pay attention to, she highlights it and underlines it and circles it, and she'll write notes in the margins of the letter. There's hardly a piece of white space anywhere on, on any of Eleanor's letters, right? So... Uh, when Jesus had this verse recorded through the hand of John for you, verse 3 would have been one of those Eleanor Kennedy verses. They didn't have highlighters, and they didn't do the underlining and the circling like Eleanor Kennedy did. And this is one of the things that David helped me learn that's really important about Greek. 
as you're reading through the Greek in the original manuscript. There are certain ways that they wrote it, certain forms that they used that would scream out, pay close attention to this part here. And verse 3 is one of those sections. So he says, Jesus in verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And the word for clean that's used here is the same word that was translated prunes uh, in the earlier verses. Whether you're pruned or cleaned, it's the same word. So maybe Jesus knew at this point exactly what was going on in the mind of his disciples as he was speaking with them. And maybe that was exactly what's going on in your mind when you got to verse 2. Am I one of the fruit-producing branches or am I one of the ones that gets cut off? And Jesus tells you, his disciples here, you're already clean. All right, so his point here is not to threaten you with being cut off if you're a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. But why are you clean? Why? And here's a really important part. It's the part where he tells you how the vine dresser prunes the branches. God prunes the branches with his word. I remember the first time I read the whole Bible. I was about 25 years old the first time I did that. And one of the things that amazed me most about God's word was the way it would shine a bright light on even the darkest corner of your soul. These darkest things that I thought I had done a really good job of hiding, apparently I hadn't hidden well from God. Because you, and you know what I mean. You read the word, and you are confronted with your sin. You know that you're guilty. There's conviction in your heart over your failures and your sin. Have you felt that before when you've read Scripture? That's the pruning. That's what the Word of God does, and that's what Jesus means here as he's speaking to his disciples, you. You read through the Word, maybe you've thought, well, you know, I'm not an adulterer. I've never cheated on my spouse. You'd just be a pretty terrible person to do something like that. And then you read Matthew 5.28 where it says, If you so much as look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. And that puts a new paint job on it, doesn't it? Or you read through the word and you think, Well, hey, I'm not perfect, but at least I've never killed anyone. I've never committed murder. Those are the really terrible people, right? And then you read Matthew 5.22 and you read that anyone who's angry with his brother or calls him good for nothing or calls him a fool is guilty enough of murder to go into fiery hell. And then you remember all the many times after church or after other social functions where your conversation has been filled with gossip and insults about what so-and-so was wearing or how much weight they've gained or how cheap Uncle Larry is. How many marriages is that now for cousin so-and-so? Or do you see how much your brother was drinking? Some Christian he is. That conviction that you feel over that, if you feel that conviction at all, that's the pruning of the Word of God. And that's how you know what kind of branch you are. The Word of God is like a mirror. It shows you every place where you fail in your heart 
and where your sin, when the word drives you to understand the truth, that you are dead in your sin and you're hopeless without Jesus. That part that drives you onto your knees to the foot of the cross, because though you desperately need him, you don't deserve him and you know it. That's the father's pruning. He does that with the word. And brothers and sisters in Christ, if I can encourage you, he's telling you here, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. So Jesus is the vine and God prunes the branches with his word. And in the rest of these verses, we see how the pruned branches bear fruit. He says in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you, unless you abide in me. So it isn't for you to be stressing out, keeping track of all your fruit, all the fruit you're bearing for God, because you can't do a thing without him. You can't bear a thing. If you bear any fruit at all, it's not from you being diligent and obedient and working really hard and making that happen. It's Jesus who makes the fruit. You can't do it yourself. If you remain in Christ, He will bring the fruit through you. There's an imperative and a command here in verse 4 for you from Jesus. And the command isn't go bear fruit. The command is abide in me. That's the imperative, abide And what does that mean? What's it mean to abide in him? It doesn't mean go do anything. It means remain in him. You don't bring yourself to faith in Christ. That's done by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is commanding you here, those of you who are his disciples, just stay with me. He goes on to explain it in more detail in verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And one scholar, David and I really appreciate him, says uh, about these verses here. Wherever there is fruit that pleases the vine dresser, the father, and is sweet to his taste, it hangs on the branches, but it's the vine that holds both the branches and the fruit. It's the vine that penetrates the branches with its sap. So we've covered a lot here. Jesus is the vine. You, who are his disciples, are the branches. God the Father is the vine dresser, and he prunes the branches with the word of God. And when the branches have been pruned with the word of God, the pruned branches bear fruit. Do you know what we haven't discussed yet? What's the fruit? What is that? What is it that pleases God, the vine dresser, that he's looking for as he's examining the branches? If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, and I'll read that if you'll turn with me there. It says, here's the list. Right here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now remember that Jesus' point here is not some self-help lesson on how you can be a better person and be more pleasing to God through your efforts. This isn't a list of all the things that you're supposed to go out and start doing. This is the fruit that flows from Jesus Christ, the vine, produced by the working of the Holy Spirit, flowing through the lives of his disciples, you. When the Father, the vine dresser, examines the branches, he's looking for that fruit that pleases him, the fruit from his Son that pleases him, which is love. Where the world is lonely and hateful, his branches bring love. It's joy. Where the world is depressed and in despair, his branches bring joy. Where the world fights its people, its people tear each other apart, his branches bring peace. Where the world is frustrated and hurried, his branches bring patience. Where the world is cruel and nasty, his branches bring kindness. Where the world is wicked and celebrates evil, his branches bring goodness. Where the world turns its back and betrays, its branches bring faithfulness. Where the world is harsh, his branches bring gentleness. And where the world is out of control, going insane over every little thing, engorging itself like a hog on whatever makes it happy, his branches bring self-control. The pruned branches bear fruit. And this is the fruit that Jesus bears through them. So, of course, those who aren't disciples of Jesus Christ, at some point in their lives, They've been. They're on the vine, right? Connected to the vine. But for whatever reason, they've turned away and chosen not to remain in him, in the word. Jesus says in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire. And they are burned. Judas, before Jesus had said any of this here, he'd just left the room to go pick up his bribe. He'd walked away, following a path into darkness, going after the things of the world, dried up, thrown away. And Jesus makes a promise to you in verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Judas didn't stay with Jesus. That's why the things of the world, those 30 pieces of silver, had such a powerful pull for him. That's why money draws people so powerfully today. Judas didn't remain in Christ. If he had, he'd have been transformed by the renewing of his mind 
And rather than being a faithless betrayer with no integrity, who sold his own soul for 30 lousy pieces of silver, he'd have borne the fruit of faithfulness and been a man of integrity who doesn't sell out for a few bucks or betray his own Lord for profit, but remains faithful. And when you remain in Christ, remain in the word, you come obediently to the table and you partake in the holy sacraments. You receive forgiveness of your sins. When you're buried with him through baptism into death, and can walk in newness of life. You conform to his image. And the things that you wish, he does for you, because the things that you want are the things that he wants. And his Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be his disciples, as it says in verse 8. The world can't snatch you away from him but it'll try to lure you. It will. The world will try to lure you to hate rather than love, to be depressed and dissatisfied with everything in your life rather than to be joyful. It'll try to get you to open your mouth and fight when you should be peaceful, try to get you to give up when you should be patient. It'll tempt you to be mean when you should be kind to be perverse when you should show goodness, to be a thieving crook like Judas when you should be faithful, to be harsh when you should be gentle. The world will push you to the limit of your temper when you should show self-control. Brothers and sisters in Christ, abide in him. And I've gone through that list now twice, the list of those, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And maybe you're thinking of all of the times in your life over and over again where you have failed to show that fruit. Abiding in Him doesn't mean you stop sinning. It doesn't mean that at all. Abiding in Him means you feel that conviction over your sin, that the Word can bring that conviction to you so that you're pruned and cleaned. And if you're a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ, these words should be comfort to you. If you feel conviction over your sin, these words should be a comfort to you over exactly which branch, which kind of branch you are. Because the branch that's taken off and thrown away and burned doesn't feel that conviction and doesn't care what kind of branch it is. The very fact that you're sitting here this morning says something about what kind of branch you are. Take comfort when you're convicted. Turn to Christ and confess your sin and receive that forgiveness. Come to the table and receive the forgiveness of your sins that he's promised you. The Lord was speaking words of encouragement and comfort to his people here in these verses. They're meant for you. This is like a letter for you from 2,000 years ago. 
How long would it take you to read that if it arrived in your mailbox tomorrow? As you're going through the Word of God, I consider you to, I, I encourage you to consider it in that way. Amen. Will you all please join me? Oh, sorry, we're going to first turn to hymn number 475. Do you usually 